Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back to another episode of Moms of Minis podcast. We are your hosts. I am Lindsay. And I'm Sophia. And thank you for taking the time to listen to us. We have another amazing guest this evening. We have Jennifer Wiggins, who uh, is actually mm-hmm. Sophia's mom. <laughs> so we're going to have her thank for... We're doing great. How are you? <laughs> We're gonna have her for actually a couple episodes, so hope hope you enjoy them. <laughs> Cause we have been wanting to talk to her for a very long time. Schedules finally aligned, so we are very very excited to have her. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. So Yay. cool. Yay! <laughs> we appreciate you taking the time. No problem. So, uh, as always, we have to start with self-care. So, Sophia, what is your self-care this week? Well, my self-care this week actually happened like an hour or two ago. <laughs> and um, I'm sorry, sorry for my voice today, and I've got the sniffles. But, um, yeah, we took a little family hike in a little state park near our house, so, you know, finally getting some outdoor exercise is my my self-care. What about you, Lindsay? So mine was pretty, pretty uh, minimal, but, you know, sometimes it's like that. So we are recording on the day that Daylight Savings ended, which everyone knows is a really rough day for parents, especially. <laughs> um, but... By some miracle, my son slept actually an extra hour, so he did not wake up until 7. So for like 20 to 30 minutes, I just got to lay in bed and scroll TikTok, and it was very therapeutic and stupid, but it was so ne- so necessary. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, That's awesome. great. So, Miss Jen, what was your self-care this week? Um... Well, I actually set a timer on my phone uh, to go walk, and uh, so I've just been walking around the playground. I'm an elementary school teacher, so um, we have a playground and a soccer field, so I did that twice this week. Um, The other days, it was so dang windy and cold, I couldn't even make myself go outside, so (laughs) sunny days, I did go out and walk. That's so that's nice. Fair. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> well, Mom, would you like to give us kind of a background of your current job, how you started out teaching, schooling, maybe whatever, whatever, how you got, how you got from there to here? Okay. Well, um, I've been an elementary special ed teacher, um, I think, for twenty four of my 26 years. Um, My first year teaching, I was a bilingual teacher. And then there was one year at some point that I was a first grade teacher. That was the year from hell. And um, the rest of the time, I've been elementary special ed, uh, working with kids who have trouble reading and doing math. And, uh, you know, I just love it. It's been my life for my whole adult life. Uh, and I can't imagine doing anything different. It was kind of a roundabout way to get here. Um, 
I originally wanted to be a history professor and um, decided to take a job because I didn't get into grad school. And so I decided to take a job that was quote unquote easy. And um, I thought teaching would be very easy. And um, I got hired on an alternative license if you were bilingual and had a degree to get hired in Texas. And so um, I did that for a while. And then uh, I came back to New Mexico and, you know, I'm born and raised in New Mexico. So living in Texas was just not my thing. <laughs> and um, we came back to New Mexico and I subbed for a teacher who had had triplets and she was out on maternity and yeah poor lady she was a special ed teacher and um so she was out for like I I think I was long-term subbing for her for about uh two months and then she decided not to come back and so they just kept me there the rest of the year and then I, from then on I wanted to be a special ed teacher I knew that was that was my calling that's where I needed to be so I uh, had to go back and get my master's and got certified and uh, uh, that's that's been what I've doing been I've doing my whole adult life so <laughs> that's yeah. amazing I mean I it definitely takes a, a very dedicated person to do what you do um, like a very compassionate very patient you know very passionate person <laughs> You know, like, Thanks. oh, that's next yeah. level. And that poor woman with her triplets. <laughs> I don't blame her no. for not returning. <laughs> yeah, I, I I, always felt so bad for her. I was like, triplets, my God, that would be unreal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't blame her for, for not wanting to go back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although maybe going back would have been an escape. Who knows? Um, yeah. So you kind of you kind of went over it that you um, you know went we're going for another field and then you know just kind of stumbled into your current field. But uh, so what what was your education like prior to that? Um, since you were going to be you know a history professor, is what your initial goal was? Yeah. So my bachelor's is uh, I double majored in history and Spanish, um, and you know I always wanted to learn Spanish, so um, I took a lot of classes, uh, lived in Mexico for one summer, and, you know, really tried to become as bilingual as you can as an adult, you know, it's uh, never going to be easy. Um, and that was my, my goal. And I, I always have the funniest story because um, my first day of teaching, I was, I was hired on a Friday and school started Monday, <laughs> the very next Monday. <laughs> Uh, and up to that point, I had no teaching experience. I had babysat a lot. Um, and I had done a crash course in the summer of how to become a teacher. And um, I, I was there at, the, at school, 6 o'clock a.m., and before I knew it, the kids were there. We spent a whole day. I walked them out to the bus, and as I walked back into my classroom, it hit me that that's what I was going to do the rest of my life. So um, I was lucky that I found that early on. And uh, I realized that, you know, the skills that I had would be perfectly suited uh, to be a teacher. And, you know, that was, oh. that was it. <laughs> that's so sweet. Oh, thanks. 
Well, and I'm sure it's changed in more ways than not over the past 25 years. <laughs> yeah. You say, I mean, obviously you just survived teaching virtually through COVID and so many other things you've had to go through. But do you think over the years, I don't know if maybe just more specifically the special ed realm has changed for the better or for worse? What would you say? Um, I think it's definitely changed for the better. We know so much more now about how our brains work and about how we learn. Um, and and I feel like there's um, an expectation for all kids to succeed that there used to not be. Um, when I first started in special ed, it was always that like, oh, but the special ed kids can't do that. Oh, but they're special ed. They can't do that. And um, I never had that attitude. Um, I always thought, you know, they're just like everyone else. They want the same things everyone else does. And, um, you know, I I just always had that belief that everybody could learn. And so, you know, yeah, it's, it's just been... Um, and even just the last few years with um, what we were learning now about trauma and, um, you know, how to um, how to deal with trauma, how to help um, all sorts of emotional things. You know, we, we do a lot of social emotional learning in the schools now. And I just feel like, you know, we just know so much more than we did back then. Um, it was all just a guess uh, back then. And so... Although it was, I do call it the good old days because politicians didn't care about what we were doing and we could just just teach, you know. Uh, there wasn't that uh, pressure for the state tests and the accountability and things like that. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, kids are still kids. They, they are fun. They like to have a good time, you know, so they make it enjoyable. I can't imagine having to spend my day with adults, <laughs> just adults, you know. <laughs> it would be so boring, awesome. like, working in an office. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I guess to kind of go back to, um, you know, your experience during COVID, what did that look like for you? Oh, man. Um, luckily, our, our district um, was pretty tech-savvy already. We have... Um, some pretty amazing tech people. Um, Sophia's fifth grade teacher is now our, um, she's our tech person for the district and, and trains teachers to use technology. And that had happened before the pandemic. And so we were, um, of anybody, we were the best poised to move into that, um, you know, virtual space. It was, it was hard. It was literally the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, professionally but it was um a pleasure you know I, I I had some advantages because as a special ed teacher I usually work with kids throughout a few grade levels so usually like third fourth and fifth so I had relationships with parents because I'd known them for years um and actually some of my kids because of the way things had worked I'd been with them since kindergarten and so having that relationship with them and their families really, really helped. Um, it was it was hard, but, you know, it, we did our best to keep the kids safe and uh, keep them learning. And, you know, I learned 
so much. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing when I look back what we did. It's just kind of wild. Um, and actually, the online stuff wasn't quite as hard as the teaching in a mask and trying to keep everybody six feet apart. That was harder than the virtual stuff because, um, you know, it, it was hard. It, it was hard. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, even when my daycare first opened in January, there was still the mask mandate. And, you know, trying to keep a mask on a two-year-old was a nightmare. <laughs> I can just yeah. imagine, you know, if there's a kid who had, like, you know, some kind of sensory issue or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, like, really. Yeah. And, I mean, I my, my very first day that we had the kids there with in their masks, I look over and one of my kids had poked a hole in her mask with her pencil. And I was like, what are you doing? She goes, I couldn't breathe. I was like, no, you just defeated the whole purpose of the mask. I mean, oh fair. <laughs> I mean, so funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was funny, but it was great because we had that, um, you know, it was like, well, if you want to be here, you have to wear the mask. Otherwise, you're going to be back at home online again. And they were like, oh, God, no. So <laughs> that was a pretty good incentive for the kids. Right. So how many That's kids crazy. do you typically have in your class? So I usually have um, between 20 and 30 kids on my caseload. I don't see them all at the same time. Um, the way we do it in my district is um, – I see kids for math intervention and reading intervention, depending on their needs. Um, and so it's like not the same kids at the same time. So I'll see the third graders for reading and then I'll see the fourth graders for reading and then the fifth graders and, and it kind of cycle in and out throughout the day of, of the kids that I see. Okay. Yeah. So you talked about like, all of the really good steps we've kind of made when it comes to, you know, understanding the brain and trauma and trauma responses and everything. Mm-hmm. But there's also this like huge influx of diagnosing kids with all sorts of things. Um, I know like even like on TikTok and stuff, Lindsay, I don't know if you get this too, but you know, they have targeted ads towards you and yeah. constantly 24-7, I'm getting ADHD meds. <laughs> I'm not, constantly. I'm not seeing those, but I do just from my own experience. I remember when I was in elementary school, it was like everyone was being diagnosed with ADHD or ADD. Like everybody mm-hmm. I knew. And I even remember like as a kid thinking like, there's no way this many people like have this issue. Like, I, right. I, I personally know people who do have, like, ADD and ADHD, and I was comparing these people I knew to, like, these other people being diagnosed, and I was kind of like, eh, things kind of aren't, like, <laughs> adding up here. Like, you know, some people seem way more severe and, like, way more in need of this medication and, like, these kind of interventions rather mm-hmm. than, like, you know, maybe a kid's a little too rambunctious or yeah something like yeah. that. And, and the difficulty with things like ADHD and even autism diagnoses, there's not a medical test that proves or disproves that. So it's based on observations. It's based on um, checklists that your teachers will 
complete, your parents will complete. And it also has to do a lot um, with the doctor. Um, I've had, over the course of my career, I've had doctors who refuse to give ADHD diagnoses, and then some that give them out like candy. So it's just really um, variable. Um, the same with autism diagnoses. We are seeing just a huge number. And what has happened recently is there's become um, a financial incentive for people. Uh, you'll see these private um, companies that will provide a diagnosis. And then they also conveniently will provide the therapy that they're recommending. Um, so they will say, yes, your child is autistic and he needs occupational therapy and he needs um, speech therapy. And by the way, we have those at our office and we can build your insurance for them. Um, that's not to say that some of them aren't valid and they are catching some kids who really do need those, um, the diagnosis. But um, it just makes me a little suspect when I see the financial incentive. Um, I just had a case of a student who was taken to one of these private places because his doctor recommended it. They did an autism screening. They didn't find that, but they did say that he was intellectually disabled according to their IQ tests that they did. So the parent brings that to us and is very concerned because they're telling this parent that her child will never be independent. He will never hold a job. Um, and by the way, he also needs all the speech therapy and, and OT and PT that they provide. Um, and so the parent brought that to us and we had our diagnostician look at it. Well, the IQ test wasn't even done completely. They didn't do all the components to it. And the student was wearing glasses that he has had since kindergarten. He's a fourth grader. They never did an, a vision check. And so when, they, when we did everything that we needed to do because we're a public school and we have to follow the rules, um, we couldn't move forward until he had an updated vision screening. So, you know, these private places, even though they can do things a little quicker than public school, um, they're not always the best. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, you just kind of have to look at it um, with a little bit of skepticism, well, um, especially when, when they also offer the therapies and, you know, they're billing your insurance for it. Well, how awful for the child, too, because it's like suddenly yeah. you're being told, like, you know, you're never going to be on your own. You're always going to be dependent and you're not you're already not being set up for success. Like, that's awful yeah. and so much pressure. Yeah. yeah, it's not doing the student any good um, and it was not accurate. It's not, you know, this isn't a kid who's going to be in or, you know, dependent on his family the rest of his life. He's. He's got a lot of skills. So, yeah, we completely disagreed with that. <laughs> so I know there's always people that, you know, blame X, Y, or Z on, you know, this specific juice causes kids to have autism or something. I mean, 
do you think there are legitimate environmental factors or anything that's like causing you know neurodivergency upticks or do you you know over the years do you really just see the same percentage on Um, your caseload or well this is probably one of those unpopular opinions but i'm going to share it (laughs) lay it on us i i'm going to lay it on you um i think our dependence on screens um specifically the games are impacting students ability to communicate and their attention spans um it is teaching kids not to be able to pay attention and it's replacing communication and so we're seeing kids who are literally being raised on phones or on tablets um and it is devastating to their skill set um and so it's gotten worse because our dependence on this has gotten worse. Our usage is um, much higher. Um, and so, you know, I, I know you, you two personally have had friends that um, really depend on those uh, screens. And I'm not saying you can't have some. Um, right. There's been times when I'm hanging out with Ellie that I'll show her a little video on my phone. Um, but most of the time, uh, you know, kids need interactions. They need um, to play. They need to um, touch things. They need to move them. They need to move their bodies. Um, and they need to hear language and be spoken to and have that chance to interact with other people. Um, apps like- don't do it. <laughs> Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like the type of screens is different. Like, I mean, we grew up watching like a lot of TV, I think, and that didn't affect my attention span at all until I started really getting on social media and really using it because it's made to be addictive and, you know, got addicted and still probably am addicted to it today. And it's just like, it's so different. You know, you hear all the like screen time buzzwords and how that's like so, you know, awful. But there are like, you know, good screens mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, but it's just, you have to like remember, like, go oh, when you consider like the good old days, think about mm-hmm. what you were watching then and like what your parents were. And, you know, it's not like we'd get home and, our parents would be on their phones completely ignoring us like they were doing like household chores or mm-hmm. watching the news or educating themselves like it's so it's just so different with the screens now versus then you know well and I think yeah. with yeah. uh like communication based you know screens and technology specifically like that's very detrimental I mean mm-hmm. If you think of, like, the case of cyberbullying, you know, like, kids are saying things on the internet that they would never say to somebody in person, and, you know, they don't know how to communicate with each other, and, you know, I've I've personally witnessed it, or, you know, kids Mm -hmm. don't know how how to behave without being distracted, like, specifically by a screen. I mean, I, I can think of one instance in particular where I went out to dinner with um, a friend and I didn't, you know, I didn't have a kid at the time. 
And, you know, of course you're, you're the perfect parent when you don't have a kid. So, you know, I, I, thinking back, I'm kind of like, well, maybe I judged a little harshly, but you know, I'm eating dinner with my friend and she has her two kids and her husband and her kids were definitely old enough to be, you know, seated at a table at a restaurant and eating food. And they were both just throwing epic temper tantrums until they got their tablets and then they wouldn't eat. They just wanted their tablets. And then mom and dad were literally sitting on their phones like zombies. And I'm just sitting there like, yeah. why did you invite me to dinner? <laughs> like, I don't understand yeah. why I'm here. Yeah. And well, and, and that's what is happening with behavior. Kids are try- are having to up the ante just to get some attention to get their parents off of their phones. And so it's not just the kids being in front of the phones, it's the parents too. And, you know, so they're just, it, it is, it creates that, um, is it dopamine release? Yeah. Like, like a drug. So it's mm-hmm. the exact same reaction to somebody doing a drug, getting that pleasure um, center activated and then withdrawing. So taking the tablets away from the kid is inducing a withdrawal response in the brain. And it literally is like a drug. And so if you think about, would you ever give your kids cocaine or heroin? Oh my God, no, never. But the phones and the screens, the tablets, they're having the same response reaction in our brains and in the kids' brains. And it's dangerous. It, It seriously is dangerous. And, um, you know, we see things at school, we see kids who have explosive behaviors and that is new. We haven't seen that before. And it's, it correlates directly to the increase in the use of screen time for kids. So bravo to you too, because I know you don't depend on it very often. I know your kids are, um, you know, playing and interacting and, and living in the real world. And I, I'm glad you're bucking that trend. It's it's difficult, but it's necessary. Because um, it's a convenient babysitter. And that's right. what it is. You know, people use it just to occupy their kids so they don't have to parent, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Sophie yeah, and I have both we've talked, talked about... about oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we've both talked about how, you know, it's like, you know, it's a good tool for when you, you know, need to take a shower or you need to, you know, do something quick. But, you know, I don't think either of us are like, you know, let me plop you in front of the TV for four hours while I scroll up my phone for four hours. And, you know, I, I agree that I'm sure that does really play into, you know, the increase in autism diagnoses or, you know, spectrum diagnoses just because Mm -hmm. kids, can't read social cues because there are no social cues on the internet. Yeah. You know, you can't, yeah. you can't read inflections from the text or, you know, Twitter or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well, and we went out to dinner on Halloween night and we took Ellie and like, like you were saying, the perfect parent, I always swore up and down. I would never have like a video going at dinner time or something we like didn't even order our drinks and Ellie was just like bouncing off the wall and like she wasn't being like annoying or anything but like we just wanted to sit neither of us wanted to like chase her around the restaurant 
and so we put on Miss Rachel on our phones, and, um, you know, we did that. We've done that two or three times now where we'll be at restaurants, and there was this little girl at the table next to us who was probably, like, older two, maybe younger three, and she was, like, perfect. Like, I was just like, how is she? Like, she just sat there so perfect observing she was really interested in like ellie you know she was watching her and her parents were scrolling on their phones while she was behaving perfectly and i was like you have a gift of a toddler (laughs) who's relaxed and just drinking her little drink and you're just like totally ignoring her like it just blew my mind i was like what like well, and it's all it modeled. So sad. It's all modeled behavior, right? Like if mom and dad don't communicate with each other in person, like how is kids supposed to know? Like, oh, this is normal human interaction <laughs> is like right. talking face to face versus like, look yeah. at this meme I just sent you. I know. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. Well, and I think that's a good way to segue into our um, kind of how you value, you know, communication with toddlers and how Mm -hmm. communication kind of correlates to behavior because, you know, Lindsay and I are Mm -hmm. still learning and we'd love to hear (laughs) your experience (laughs) on it because we need it, you know. Well, you know, so, so they say that communication is behavior and behavior is communication. So, you know, if you think back to your very first, um, like, consequence or behavior issue that you've seen with your kid, it probably has to do with, like, them not getting what they need or them not being able to communicate to you what they need. So, you know, when you get that, you know, night of crying or them, you know, uh, just screaming and you not understanding what it is, that that's, you know, that breakdown in the communication there so it might be you know seen as bad behavior but really all it is is there's not they they don't have a way to communicate you know and you're not understanding what they're trying to tell you or what is wrong so you know it's a little bit of a a breakdown um and you know when i when you think about communication with your especially minis you know the the infants and toddler stage, your communication when you're like correcting them, when they've done something that they need to be, you know, corrected for. So um, usually this is my example because this is usually the first thing that comes up is they bite you when they're breastfeeding. <laughs> and uh, I know this came up with, with Ellie and when Sophia would tell her no, she just laughed because she had no idea what the word no meant, you know. And uh, so she, you know, didn't understand. It was that breakdown of communication. And um, at, with the toddlers, I've seen that kind of gentle parent movement where people want to explain and, and talk to their toddler about why their behavior choices aren't appropriate at this time. And I always caution people because the communication, when you're correcting them, your communication with them needs to be 
at about the same level of communication that they're able to do. So if your nine-month-old can't carry on a conversation, you can't correct them in a big, big, long conversation. So um, a nine-month-old might be able to understand a sign um, like stop or, you know, no, don't, you know, look, uh, look up some of those si uh, sign language signs. Um, and that's about what they can understand. So what they are able to communicate with you is about where you need to be. So right now, your toddlers are able to communicate one word at a time. So when you need to correct them, giving them a long explanation of why their behavior is not appropriate at this time isn't going to work. So your best bet is to say something like, no, stop, you know, because that's the um, way they're able to communicate with just a few words. And um, I, I just kind of giggle anytime I see people and they always tend to do it when they're in public. They feel like this is the, the way to do it in public. And they'll say something like, you know, Johnny, this is not appropriate behavior. And I just giggle because I'm like, Johnny has no idea what you're saying right now. <laughs> and, um, you know, I always caution people to look at their attention. Um, because when Johnny throws his drink on the floor at the restaurant and mom sits down and talks to him for 10 minutes, he just realized wow, I threw my drink on the floor and mom sat and talked to me for 10 minutes. He doesn't understand that she was trying to, you know, scold him. Um, and so you always have to be careful with what you pay attention to um, because the more attention you pay to something, the more you'll see it, um, mm. you know. So um, I always say it's like a, a plant that gets watered, you know, and your babies and toddlers and young kids do not care whether it's negative or positive attention. They're happy to have the attention. And so, you know, um, the longer you spend during the times that they're not doing what they're supposed to, that is actually reinforcing that behavior. And um, it's not reinforcing it in a good way because, <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, wow, that just uh, got me mom's undivided attention for a long time. Uh, so, you know, it's always um, uh, really tricky. And I, 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 this is what I do in elementary a lot is you try to ignore the behavior if you can and, you know, praise them when they are doing the right thing. Um, and you also want to give them like a replacement behavior. So um, one of the things uh, Ellie was doing was hitting. And um, so I had given Sophia the suggestion of at, at other times, not when she's upset, but at other times to train her what gentle is. And that's what I used with Sophia when she was little, you know, uh, we would we would touch her hair and say, gentle, gentle. And we had dogs, and that was what I was trying to get her to pet the dogs in a gentle way and not be rough with the dogs because I didn't want them to bite her or something. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, um, giving them something that you do want them to do 
And so then when, and if you practice that when they're calm, then when they get upset and, you know, Ellie is trying to hit you because she's upset, you can just put your hand on her and say gentle and show her that gentle touch that you mean. You want to be touched gently. And, um, you know, things like that, You it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of forethought. Um, sometimes things happen and you haven't thought about them. And so you just react. Um, but then you regroup and you think, okay, next time, <laughs> do I want to do it differently? Because there will be a next time. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and yeah. I, literally, I literally just thought of an example of like, anytime I'm frustrated about something and I'm like venting to my husband or something, like I don't want to hear like a solution or yep. a plan of action. I just want him to like listen and calm me down. And I'm like, I'm sure toddlers feel the exact same way. Like when they're pissed off in that moment, they don't want to know the logical answer. They just want to be like, here, here's a hug. We're going to get through uh-huh. this. When you're calmer, yeah. you can think about. <laughs> well, yeah. when, yeah. when you were talking about, uh, you know, like talking to them and the community, like the same communication that they have. So, uh, just this evening, um, I was putting my son for the, for the bath and I had taken off his diaper and in like the two seconds his diaper was off, he like peed on my floor and I said, no. And he like immediately stopped like midstream and then he like started crying and I was like, oh, it's okay, buddy. Like, (laughs) I was like, I'm not mad. I'm just surprised. (laughs) But, like, I I mean, he, like, definitely made the connection. Like, what I did, I shouldn't have done. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm, I don't want to say I'm not a proponent of gentle parenting, but definitely, like, the over-explanation for, like, you know, a toddler. I'm like, I'm the same way. They're not going to understand you. Like, no. they don't understand yeah. appropriate, inappropriate. Like, these are verbs. Yeah. They are words that they don't have. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I also want to make the point that for the most part, you want to use as much language and as rich and varied language as you can for, you know, so like when you're doing stuff around the house, you can talk to your kid and say things like, oh, I think mom's going to put the the pan in the dishwasher because it needs to be washed and oh my gosh did I forget the spoons well let's get the spoons too you know you just kind of narrate what you're doing and that exposes your kids to lots of vocabulary lots of rich language but when you're disciplining them that is not the time for the rich language and the big vocabulary that is the time for toddler talk you know and talk to them at their level and then really limit the amount of um, attention you're giving to that. Um, you know, and I always say you need to have a nuclear option, you know, for the time your kid runs through the parking lot um, or, you know, the time that they do something that could be very dangerous. That's when you yell and, you know, really get their attention. Um the first time that ever happened was Sophia hid in the racks at Target and I couldn't find her. And uh, I think this week she got some karma because Ellie did the same thing. Oh my God. And, I would be yeah. terrified. Yeah, it was yeah. horrifying. This 
last week she i think i was in the kitchen doing something and um it was that like dreaded like i couldn't hear anything and i was like something's wrong (laughs) it's too quiet (laughs) it's too quiet and so like i had watched this like tiktok forever ago and it was like if um if your kid is missing, you need to go look first in the places, like, where they could drown, or... Oh, like, my God. Like, you have a pool. Well, like, if you have, like, a pool or something, and you can't find your kid, like, you need to go to the pool first and make sure they're not there. So I was like, the toilet. <laughs> I was like, she's gonna drown in the toilet. New so, fear like, unlocked. Yeah, I, like, sprinted into the bathroom trying to find her, and I was like, okay, she's not there, and I ran into her room, and, like, Lindsay and my mom know that we do not have a huge house. There's, like, four rooms total, and I ran in all of them and gave, like, a triple look, and I couldn't find her anywhere, and she had, like, hid behind her little, like, closet, her closet door that's kind of like an accordion door, she hid in the nook and she was all peeking out like oh my god I was like you just gave me a heart attack (laughs) so yeah that was definitely my karma yeah that was that was fun yeah nothing like being at at a target in Albuquerque and turning around your kid being gone especially in Albuquerque my god No kidding. And this is why Lindsay and I take our kids around on leashes. I know. Like, you're not leaving my sight. So true. So true. So I will will leave you with one final question. What do you find most rewarding about what you do? Um, I think every teacher knows that light bulb moment when a kid get something that they haven't been able to get or they haven't been able to do and it's just the best thing in the world uh to see that and um that's that's my favorite part of being a teacher yeah that's awesome it like warms my heart i also (laughs) i also Mm. wanted to ask um i know there's a lot of parents who their kid might be on an IEP or what's the like alternative like five five oh four plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So um I know there's some parents that feel like their kids aren't getting their needs met through those plans or they don't even get like their needs expressed in the plans. Like what would you recommend mm-hmm. to parents who you know, their schools might not be helpful in that. What would you recommend them to do? Well, um, the first and most important thing is is really get to know the people that are working with your kid. Um, that's your classroom teacher and your special ed teacher. Uh, they are the ones who are there every day working with your student and they're going to be your best, um, your best sources of info, your best um, advocates for the kid. And if you know, I, I would always caution to deal with them first and really try to build a relationship with them um, and trust them to be the professionals as well. 
if you really feel like that's not happening, um, there's several different options. Um, you know, trying a different school, um, you know, trying a different school district, if that's even possible. Um, and then there's like, uh, New Mexico has um, an office of the ombudsman, which is a special advocate for um, parents whose students are in special ed. And um, that is a really cool um, avenue. It's a brand new office. Um, this is the first school year that we've um, passed that information out. But that's a good place to go if you, if you have already tried with the teacher, the case manager, which is a special ed person, and then, you know, uh, didn't get anywhere. It's never a good idea to jump to the principal and the <laughs> over their heads without yeah. talking to the teachers first. Um, but yeah, just building that relationship and, and knowing, you know, trusting that they're doing what's right for, for your kid. Um, and then if that doesn't work, then there's other avenues to go through. But yeah, I, I always say, you know, you've really got to, got to get to know the people that are working with your kid. Um, you know, so, <laughs> and, and understand too, that sometimes, uh, the teachers are doing their damnedest and they just are working with what they have to work with. Uh, we're, we're overwhelmed and we're humans too. So, you know, right. you, you also have to understand that teachers have m many more kids to take care of than just yours. So, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's not the easiest thing, but you know, I always, I always try to um, look at it as a partnership, you know, um, mm -hmm. and you want to build that partnership, not, not destroy it. Right. Well, and the last thing I wanted to talk about, Lindsay, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but have you heard of the gifted kid syndrome? I, I mean, I know there was like an enrichment gifted program when I was in school, but I don't, I don't know much about it past that other than it existed. <laughs> I, I was clearly not a gifted kid. Oh my God. <laughs> don't even say that. But my type A self was a gifted kid. And um, it's really funny because special ed teachers teach gifted and special ed and um it's so funny because all the kids that I was in gifted with like had these like we were gonna be like the president like age like 25 somehow that was gonna happen and like we were gonna be the best and do all these amazing things and then we like got out of high school and like burnt out so quick and like either joined the military and dropped out of college and like at work at a dispensary yeah like who knows but it was just like that that track we had for ourselves did not happen and I think you're seeing the same things mom I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that and what you've even seen in me or your other gifted kids well and you know I think that that kind of gifted kid mentality is when they're very successful in elementary school and things just come easily to them. Mm -hmm. So if you're a very bright kid and things come easy to you, you may not really know how to study. You may not know how it is to struggle academically. And so when you do come across something that is challenging, um, what usually happens is, A, 
you give up and you don't try or you um just really are are like lost um i i am also a former gifted kid and i will tell you my biggest <laughs> example um because when i graduated high school i wanted to be a lawyer uh that was what my parents wanted me to be yeah there you go Lindsay too <laughs> and uh <laughs> i almost went to law and, school oh man thank goodness you didn't yeah I, no i'm glad i didn't <laughs> <laughs> me too um and I had taken a Latin class my freshman year of college, thinking that'll benefit me um, <laughs> in law school that I would go to. Hey, Nate, Nate took Latin too. You guys can, <laughs> you guys can brush up. <laughs> well, we'll see if, if his experience was like mine because I'd had four years of Spanish in high school and I didn't think Latin would be that hard, but uh, it was incredibly hard and I dropped the class because I was getting a bath in it. I was failing every single thing, and and it literally changed my career trajectory because I was like, there's no way I can be a lawyer because I failed Latin. And so, you know, thank God it did. It, it, the universe has a way of sorting it all out because uh, I would have been miserable as an attorney. But, um, you know, it was one of those like, well, I'm not good at it, so I can't do that job. And I didn't have that attitude of, wow, I just need to figure out a different way and, you know, find it, you know, find a way to learn how to do this, you know. Um, so it was, a, you know, classic gifted kid move. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Um, I think uh, labeling it as gifted kind of... Um, excuse me, kind of makes it, uh, it adds pressure to the kid that doesn't need to be there. And um, especially for girls, I think it could be very detrimental because it kind of leads to some perfectionist tendencies. And we've also seen a lot, a very high correlation of eating disorders with uh, gifted kids and, and gifted girls especially. And it's just not um, something that I feel like needs to be put on a young kid. I mean, we're all gifted in many ways. Everybody has skills that they are good at something. And I think instead, it, it's more beneficial to look at that growth mindset of, you know, I might not be good at this, but what can I do to get better at it? Um, and to, you know, build up that resiliency and the determination. And, um, you know, that's that's where I really focus with my students is um, that growth mindset of, you know, me, I might not be good at it yet. What what can I do to become better at it? You know, instead of giving up, that's not an option. Well, and like as an adult looking back, I'm like, how awful for those kids who weren't gifted to know that like, yeah. oh, there's this like elitist class of smart kids when in like reality now that I'm an adult the non-gifted kids probably make more money than me they got their degree <laughs> faster than me like it's just like yeah. so stupid of a system to me I'm like I never uh -huh. gained anything from being gifted if yeah. anything it was just detrimental <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I totally get that and uh you know, it, it can create a lot of, of issues. Um, 
I, I was, it's really funny because I found out later in life that I was gifted by the exact number I needed to be considered gifted. That's what I tested at. And my little sister was tested for gifted and missed it by one point. And it created a lot of issues for her because, you know, she was like, oh, I can never be good enough or I'm, you know, not doing what I'm supposed to. And it was literally the difference of one point between her and I. And that wasn't fair. And it created a, a negative dynamic in our family for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, for for one IQ point, that doesn't make any sense. That's no. really ridiculous. That's so stupid. Yeah. So the gifted program still exists? Is it still a thing? Yes. It is still a thing. Unfortunately, New Mexico has it under the umbrella of special education, and there's an IEP for gifted which is um, uh, weird. I think we're the only only the second state in the whole country that does it that way. Um, and it literally is um, usually for kids in middle class and upper class families, teacher kids. There's a lot of teacher kids in the gifted <laughs> program. <laughs> Go figure. And um, it really doesn't, I, I feel like it. it's not... Uh, this is my personal opinion, probably a very unpopular one, but I don't feel like it, it helps kids. Um, I, I think most general ed teachers are more than capable of accommodating kids who might be uh, early to finish work, who need extra enrichment. The classroom teachers can do that without any problem. It doesn't need to be something separate. That's my unpopular opinion. <laughs> well, I was I was never officially a gifted kid, but I mean, when I was in high school, you know, there were definitely subjects that I excelled at, and you know, I kind of just did it on my own. Like I, I didn't graduate early, but I started college when I was in junior. I was a junior in high school, and awesome. I mean, that was just like my own determination. <laughs> Like no one, yeah. no one was pushing me that way. I was just like, well, I've already finished this. If I continue taking these classes, you know, I'm going to be done early. May as well just go to college. That's awesome. Yeah. So because great. of that, I graduated college early. I did it in, I think three years instead of four. Although I think the average in New Mexico now is like six. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. And it's, it's very, um, I, I often say, I don't know who decided that 18 was the, the age that you could be making all these decisions for the rest of your life. I mean, literally, nobody is as dumb as they are when they are 18. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that. I definitely made some and, questionable choices at 18. Oh, yeah, we all did. Yep. <laughs> Uh, you know, they've done studies now. They've proven that our brains, our frontal lobes still are developing um, uh, through our 20s. It's just uh, a difficult time for anybody to be making these lifelong decisions that, um, you know, I, I, I know very few people who went to college at 18, got a degree and work in that field. It just, it's very rare. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for yes, all your thank amazing you. wisdom. Yes, this You're is welcome. this is a great conversation. We've been wanting to have you on for a long time, so I'm glad the stars aligned yes, and everything I'm glad worked out. It work. And that my my awesome. technical difficulties at the at the beginning were resolved. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and I think this episode comes out the week before Thanksgiving, right, Lindsay? Yes, yes. It will come out the week before Thanksgiving. So we are going to be taking that week off to spend with our families and loved ones. And we encourage you guys to do the same. But it gives you a chance to catch up on all of our episodes, re-listen to some good ones. Uh, well, I mean, they're all good, but re-listen to them. Uh, but, you know, we we thank you for, you know, listening to us. We really feel blessed and lucky that anyone cares what we have to say. Um, but, you know, thank you for listening and, you know, happy Thanksgiving, if that's what you celebrate, or just enjoy the day off. Enjoy the federal holiday. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) And Well, thanks for having me, girls. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. No problem. (laughs) And follow us on social media, Instagram at Moms of Minis, Moms of Minis on Facebook, Moms of Minis Pod at gmail.com. Please, please interact with us so we can tell you how to get your merch. Because we've just been sitting on it and we want to, you know, get it out to the masses. So let us know that you want it. And we will have an update on our Moms of Minis sponsored toy drive coming up soon as well. So look out for that and keep listening. Stay safe. Stay blessed. And have a wonderful and happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, guys.